So if you make your decision on where you attend church on Sunday based on climate control, please give us one more week. We did pay the bill, but for some reason, Greenville County Schools did not turn on the AC. Uh, We're thankful for our sister church loaning us these fans and for Pastor Robert going and getting them. Uh, But hopefully next week we'll have some cooler air. So uh, welcome. And I know we have some new faces out there today. Again, I'm Ted. It's good to see you all. And just, uh, I wanted to bring everyone up to speed. Oh yeah, that just reminded me. I forgot one important announcement. If you're a nursing mother, we have a room set aside right over there, uh, just outside of this room. It's a nice, actually, air-conditioned room, which means like everyone's going to go, even those who don't have babies. But it's got a bunch of keyboards in it. That's how you know you're in the right room. So that's right there. Almost forgot that. So now, where have we been as a church from the pulpit? If you're new, uh, you've missed a few weeks as we started a new sermon series back in August called Plotting a Course, because God was leading us as a church uh, to head in this direction, also to consider a new pastor, also bringing two groups into one. And so we took a break from the Gospel of John, where we had been since December And we started a 12-week sermon series where we'll spend most of our time in the book of Titus, Paul's letter to Titus, to the church at Crete. And we'll also spend a few weeks looking at some passages from the books of the two letters to the Corinthians. And all of this serves a purpose of sharing to you from the scriptures who we are as a church, the values and the marks of a New Testament church that we see in scripture that help guide us forward as we're following God along this path of transition. And of course, you see the, uh, the image there on the screen that helps us to understand that. And here is another slide. This shows you what you've missed so far from the letter, Paul's letter to Titus. It's where we've been. You'll see there uh, highlighted where we are this week. Uh, we're looking at the topic of devoted to service. But the few weeks that you have missed, we uh, looked at the importance of the biblical gospel, biblical preaching, discipleship, also our commitment to sound Doctrine, and you can go back and listen to those sermons if you would like, either on our, our website or on iTunes. We're published there as well. But this week we're looking at devoted to service. Now, typically here at the Church of Blue Ridge, we preach verse by verse exposition. So we go through a book of the Bible in order, verse by verse. Today's an exception. Again, it's a weird Sunday because we're transitioning here for the first time. And so the sermon's going to be a little bit different. We're taking a break from the text. We're still going to be in Titus, as you'll see. But it's more of an excursus, more of a topical sermon to double down on what we see is obviously one of Paul's big concerns to this church as well as to all New Testament churches. And that is the importance of being devoted to good works, devoted to service. And so you can think of a simple simple theme that helps us to understand that as this. Gospel salvation strongly implies gospel action. If you look at this slide, you will see that in this small letter, 46 verses, that's all that's in Titus. There are several chapters in the entire Bible longer than the letter to Titus. And out of these 46 verses, we see seven times here, which you can look at up on the screen, seven times that the theme of good works, or in one case, bad works, appears. You can see a few that we've already covered as we just got through chapter two last week. And you even see a few that we will get to in chapter three, which will begin next Sunday. And now I've underlined the two verses that we're going to briefly look at today. Uh, Just two simple points, as we'll get to in a few moments. The importance that, just the reality that we are saved in part for good works. And then secondly, how the church is to be devoted uh, to good works. So it's very important for us to to see that. 
And theologically, this helps us to understand one of the most uh, troublesome, it's not troublesome, but people have struggled with a verse in James chapter 2. You know what verse I'm talking about? Actually, the whole second half of the chapter, which culminates in this verse, James 2.26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James is not talking about salvation by works there. What James is saying is those who confess to follow Jesus with their mouth, but then their lives do not line up with that confession, there's no gospel works, they're dead. They're most likely a false convert. And that's one thing that Titus has, or that Paul has in common with James, all right? Paul's writing to these churches on the island of Crete. James, of course, is writing to uh, more Jewish Christians, kind of think uh, Jerusalem, uh, Pharisaical, two different false teachers, but, but yet similar in that they were creating a, a legalistic, uh, false version of Christianity. And in some ways, ironically, they were separating the two aspects of Christ as Savior and Christ as Lord. And, they, and all false teachers do this. They, they say, yeah, it's all about just making that profession. It doesn't matter how your life lines up. And Paul is saying, just like James is saying in his letter, no, that is heresy. That is heresy. If you are a follower of Christ and you make that profession, your life should look like one who follows Jesus' like The gospel should shine forth through your words, through your actions, not perfectly, right? We're still sinners, we're still in the flesh, but there should be, be an increasing growth in those works, in that gospel light coming from individual believers as well as from a congregation that follows Jesus. Let me see if I can illustrate the contradiction aspect. Husbands, you will understand this illustration very well. So you husbands, you, you come home, you come into the room where your wife is, and she looks visibly upset. Sad face, shoulder slouch, looking at the ground, maybe even a little anger on her face. And you say, honey, are you okay? And she answers with those two words. I'm fine. Now in that moment, it doesn't take a rocket scientist or someone with communication degrees to know there's a contradiction. Her nonverbal is not lining up with the words that just came out of her mouth. And in the same way, that's what we look like when we profess to follow Christ, but our life looks like the world or even looks like hell. And that's what Paul is emphasizing in this letter, throughout this letter, as we will be reminded of today. So every week when we preach, we typically start out with a big idea or a main idea that guides us through the sermon. You'll see that on the screen here. Today, we will double down on the importance of being a church that is devoted to good works for the glory of God and for the sake of his gospel mission. Let us go back to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we come before you. We thank you again for this time that we have had worshiping you already. And now as we open your holy Bible, we pray that your spirit would fill those of us who are saved. Help us to, uh, to see areas that, that we can repent, areas that uh, we need some work from your spirit and from the gospel to repent and to believe and to apply these truths to our life. Enable that for us. And Lord, for those in this room who do not yet know you, we pray that your spirit would be active in working to bring about the recognition of sin, empowering repentance and gospel faith for your glory. Do that today, Lord. Continue to do your gospel work as we continue to worship you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, before we get to these two verses, 
there's a few very important initial theological points that we've got to make when topic, talk, talking about the subject of good works in Christianity. You'll see those up on the slide. We'll take a few moments to look at these. First and foremost, we've talked about this now for weeks. We are not saved by our good works, all right? That is just, in fact, Paul will say that again next week. You'll see that in next week's sermon in Titus 3, 5. Salvation does not come from works. Of course, the classic passage which we've looked at, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where he, he makes it very emphatic, okay? It's by grace you have been saved, not your works so that no one can boast. So very important that we hit that. Second, salvation only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not our faith, it's the object of our faith. And the only object that God has provided to save sinful man is his glorious son, Jesus Christ, and his earthly mission, of course, his death, burial, resurrection, and exaltation. So it's very important that we remember that. And the reason I point that out is because we have some false versions of Christianity all around us. And one of those is what we call liberal Christianity. It came in in the 1800s. It was called new theology, right? It's never good when something's new, talking about Christianity, right? The old is good. But it was called new theology. We refer to it as liberal Christianity, liberal theology today. And what brought it about, it came out of New England, was coming out of the Enlightenment with Darwinism and all these scientific discoveries. They quickly departed from the Bible. They just believed those theories instead, but wanted to remain relevant, wanted to have a seat at the intellectual table. So they ditched the gospel. They ditched evangelism. They ditched uh, the word of God, scripture being the word of God, and redefined what Christianity was. It was all just about serving people and doing good works and helping people because they subscribe to a false gospel called universalism, that everybody is automatically saved, whether they ever repent or believe or even hear the gospel, automatically saved. So that's liberal Christianity. Again, it's all around us, even here in Greenville. But let's look at this great quote by theologian Edmund Clowney. He says, salvation comes not by economic reform, political liberation, or ecological stewardship, but by faith in the Savior who is the way, is the truth, and is the life. Of course, Jesus Christ. Going back to our list, number three, this also points to a false version of Christianity, which is all around us here in Greenville. And this is something we must understand. This is something that I think those in the room may have experienced uh, at some point growing up or, or whatever else, but we are not sanctified by our good works either. And this uh, points to legalism. Any type of evangelical legalism, they would agree, yes, we are saved by faith and grace alone. But then the mistake they make is that we're sanctified by good works. We're sanctified by a bunch of do nots on a checklist. And friends, that is just as much heresy as liberal Christianity. And of course, I told you this a couple weeks ago, the book of the Bible to go to when dealing with legalism is Galatians, where Paul confronts a very similar false teaching that James was confronting in his letter. And let's go there now and see the climax, or really the, the heart of that great epistle. He asked them this question in Galatians 3. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? That's a rhetorical question. They're gonna answer absolutely hearing with faith. And then look what he says in verse three. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And that is where we see that sanctification, that process of the Holy Spirit from the day we're saved until the day we go to be with the Lord, where the Holy Spirit's making us more and more like Jesus Christ, that is also 
by the grace of God, through his gospel. Now we have a part. We've got to show up and be obedient, right? And put ourselves in that stream of God's sanctifying work. But again, it's his power and his power alone that does it, not our good works by themselves. Number four, Jesus provides us with a balanced model of gospel proclamation and good works. And this is connected to those two false groups I just mentioned a few moments ago. Because what happened was, as liberal Christianity became popular in the early 1900s, the evangel- a lot of the evangelicals went in the other direction. They overcorrected, and it was just all about preaching and teaching the Bible, right? While the liberals were like, no more Bible, it's all about helping people. And we lost that balance that we see Jesus so perfectly display in the Gospels where he was proclaiming the gospel, that they needed to repent and believe in him, but then he was also helping and healing and doing those wonderful miracles. And here's a verse from Matthew chapter four that helps us understand this. If you've taken a Christian ed class or a pastoral training class, this is one of the big verses your professor will probably bring you to, uh, especially in a Baptist context, because they'll say, hey, here are the three primary ministries of a local church. Teaching, which they would define as Sunday school typically in that model. Proclaiming the gospel, which would be this on Sunday morning, a little bit of liberty, but nonetheless, and then healing. And so you see in this verse, it summarizes the ministry of Jesus Christ. He was teaching, he was proclaiming the gospel, but then he was healing diseases. He was helping people, which we see throughout. But what we must remember in this, first and foremost, we'll get to this in a moment, but order. Salvation precedes the good works, but second, the miracles of Jesus always had an important function. They were to point people to the fact they had a deeper need, something that was more dangerous and and severe than their poverty or their their demon possession or their physical uh, health or illness. It was the fact that they were dead in their sins and they needed a spiritual rescue, all right? Edmund Clowney says that uh, the holy justice of God is worse than anything that a human faces on earth today. And that's why we have to proclaim the gospel. The warning and the danger here is that groups that have set out with that good intention of balancing both gospel proclamation and good works, eventually they lose the gospel proclamation every time. Look at the Salvation Army. Look at the YMCA. Do you know the YMCA was a Bible study only for young men its first 14, 15 years? And then they started doing some physical fitness in addition. What's the YMCA today? It's not even the YMCA, it's the Y, right? It's just young, that's all it is. So we've got to be careful. We've got to keep those two things wed. We cannot, we cannot compromise the gospel and just be a social work, right? We're simply putting people on an air-conditioned train to hell. That's all we're doing. But at the same time, we can't forget our fellow man and his needs and become Bible thumpers, and that's all we're doing too. We've got to keep that balance like we see with Jesus Christ here in the gospel. And then fifth, that was, uh, I already mentioned it, but fifth, humans face something worse than poverty, suffering, and oppression. There's an old uh, quote that I love by the late R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite preachers ever. And he said this, Jesus Christ did not come to save people to God. He came primarily to save people from God. It's the holy justice of God. And that's why the fear of God saves us. It's the beginning of wisdom. And that quote helps us to understand whether we have a man-centered understanding of the gospel or a God-centered Right? We've got to go love and serve a fellow man, but we've got to proclaim and share with them the gospel. Not bait and switch, but authentically doing both of those things. And then finally, number six, and I'm not going to spend much time on it because this is the subject of next week's sermon, 
But the church's primary work is and will always be the proclamation of the gospel until he returns. And again, that'll be the subject of next week's sermon, so I'm going to uh, not spend any more time. So let's get to the two verses that we're going to look at today uh, to look at two of the, the main points that Paul wants the church to know about good works and the local church. We're going to do this briefly. First, we're going to review 2.14, Titus 2.14. So please turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2 if you haven't already. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first very important thing that Paul wanted the, the church to know, wanted Titus to know, was reminding him of, we saw it in chapter 2, you're going to see this again next week. It's the fact that in part, we are redeemed for good works. All right, look with me at the verse here in Titus 2, and we'll see that. It's not the only reason, it's not even the main reason, but it is a reason why God has saved us. And you'll see, we'll pick up in verse, the end of verse 3 there. It's always good to see this great verse. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, there it is, who are zealous for good works. So you see there the primary reason that Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior, we said this last week, one of the great deity of Christ verses you want to circle and become familiar with there in verse 13. But the main reason, of course, was to purify us, to rescue us, to save us. And in this verse, you see the important order, salvation first and then good works. Then as a purified people of God, the expectation is here, we're going to be zealous for good works. What comes into your mind right now when you think of the word zealot? We think of a zealot, right? Of course, we can even think of the New Testament, these people who are trying to fight the Roman Empire and get, a, get them out of Israel, and, and they tried to make Jesus their king to help do that. They were a little crazy. We don't want to be crazy, but then again, we do. That's what we want to be. That's what God expects us to be when it comes to serving others for his glory, when it comes to loving our neighbor for his glory, loving our enemies even. We can't get out of it. Loving those within our family, loving one another within the body of Christ. It's an expectation of our Lord that we would be devoted to good works. Look at this passage from Acts 26. This is Paul's, uh, one of his testimonies in this great work when he's before uh, King Agrippa. And in it, we, we see his faithfulness to the Great Commission. See, he came late to the party, so he got his own Great Commission on the road to Damascus. And so he's now reporting a couple decades later of his faithfulness to the Great Commission. And look what he says. He says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, then throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, again, Acts 1-8 fulfilled, that they should repent and turn to God. So you see salvation first, performing deeds in keeping with the repentance second. So right here, even from Paul, you see that expectation of those saved, that we would continue to perform deeds in keeping with our confession of Jesus Christ, our repentance and confession of faith in Jesus Christ. So important for us to see that there. And then here's another verse when it comes to being zealous for good works. Look at Ephesians 2.10. We already mentioned Ephesians 2.8 and 9. That makes it very clear emphatically that in no way is there anything that we bring to the table when it comes to our salvation. But the next verse, Ephesians 2.10, look at what Paul says here. For we are Christ's workmanship. We are God's workmanship. We're a work of art. 
We are a, we're each a beautiful clay vessel, a pot that, that God has saved and designed, and he's continuing to form us. And part of that workmanship is him sanctifying us and giving us opportunities to serve him and to serve others. In fact, look what the rest of this verse says. The good works that God has given to us as his people were, performed, were, were designed ahead of time. What we see here is that God is sovereign even in the good works that he has prepared beforehand for us. We know from chapter one that the decision, his decision to save us was before creation, but also this verse is telling us even the works he has for us to walk into obediently were prepared ahead of time. It's incredible. So we've seen the first verse here that we're redeemed for good works. Secondly, we're gonna look at this important truth too, that we're expected to be devoted to good works as a local church. Look with me in chapter three. Again, we'll come back to this verse in two weeks and we'll, we'll preach it in context. But look at verse 14 in chapter three, right near the end of the letter. Paul writes there to Titus, he says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Again, think of devotion. Think of, you know, what are you devoted to? What in your life? Again, not bad stuff. I'm just talking about good things. You're devoted to football, devoted to your studies, hopefully, right? those of you in school, uh, devoted to your fantasy football team and even wondering right now how they're going to do today, right? Devoted to, there's lots of things that we're devoted to, good things. But what we're seeing here is the expectation of the Lord that we will have a passion equal, if not greater, to anything else for good works, for loving our neighbors, for loving one another in the church, for serving other people, for allowing the Holy Spirit and surrendering to him daily to use us to bless others and so authenticate our profession, our verbal profession of, uh, to Jesus Christ. So very important thing. And then in this verse, we see two things, two subjects that we are to be devoted to when it comes to good works. First and foremost, needs, needs that arise. That's both within the church community and also outside the church community. But it's important that we must see the importance of inside the community. This could be physical needs. This could be the need for, this might surprise you, but loving biblical church discipline, because that's actually the context of this chapter. That as a church, we'll be willing to come alongside our brothers and sisters of Christ when they get into a ditch. Not to embarrass them, not to punish them, not to put them before the board, but to lovely bring, lovingly bring the gospel in to help rescue them from their sin and get them back up on the road to self-discipline, right? But of course, physical needs too. Now, at the Church of Blue Ridge, I'll tell you this in a moment, but we have a food pantry that we helped to start at Blue Ridge High School. Now, it would be wrong for us to provide food for those students when someone in our church is struggling to get enough food on their table. So that's the importance of being both devoted within, but also outside in meeting needs. The second thing you see in that verse, which is very, very important, is fruitfulness. The idea of fruitfulness. As we've already seen, as we've already talked about, we're not saved by works, but we're saved for works. Therefore, someone who is a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, there should be fruitfulness coming from them, right? There should be the, the fruits of the Spirit. It, come, it should come natural for us to love and serve others and be like our Savior and how He loved us. And so we want to be fruitful. We want to display to others the reality of the profession we make. I know it's very uh, repetitive, but it's so important. 
And let, me, let me use a passage by Jesus. A lot of passages in the Gospels we could go to here. Here's one from Matthew 12. Read this with me. I'll read it. You just read along silently. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. No middle ground when it comes to serving the Lord. And that's the problem with American Christianity. Most of it's in the middle. Most of it's in the gray area of falseness. Either let it be bad or let it be good. Don't be a hypocrite. That's what he's saying. He continues, talking to the Pharisees, he says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasures brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasures brings forth evil. So if fruitfulness is so important for the Christ follower. You'll see a few other verses there I would encourage you to go read on your own time. Did not have enough time to get them in today's sermon, but go check out Matthew 3, 8 through 10. 7, 15 through 20. Also a great passage on the cost of discipleship from Luke chapter 14. I encourage you to check those out. And before we move on to our final section of today's sermon, which is just the application, the opportunities that we have here for you to serve and get involved, I need to say this. As you've sat here today, maybe even coming into today, you have doubt as to the authenticity of your salvation. Or maybe you just even know you're not saved. But for those of you, like me, I grew up going to church every Sunday. I grew up a Christian in church, in a Christian family, but I was lost as a goose in a snowstorm. I was dead in my sin, and Christ did not save me until I was 22 years old. So if that's you, don't feel shame, okay? It's good news to come to the reality of that truth. The truth will set you free. And here at the Church of Blue Ridge, we want you to come and let us know that. We will come alongside you and go the distance with you and explaining and learning this glorious gospel. So there's no shame in admitting that, okay? In fact, uh, just recently, we've seen two high-profile Christians, or at least men that we thought were Christians. Joshua Harris, which was a big shocker, great uh, writing ministry with, uh, with purity and true love weights type stuff from the 90s, and even up until now, just came out a couple months ago, apostate, forsaked Christianity. He's, he's no longer a Christian. And then uh, Marty Sampson, one of, the, one of the premier songwriters for Hillsong, same thing. Folks, this is just getting started. This is going to be happening more and more as we go further into post-Christianity as a nation and as a church. And let me tell you, when that happens, don't be shaken. It's good news. It's wonderful news because on that day when someone like Marty Sampson or Joshua Harris comes out and says, I'm turning my back on Christianity, I'm no longer Christian, it's good news because one, the church just got a little purer that day. And number two, those men just got a little bit closer to actually being saved because being a false convert is the worst possible existence there is because you're inoculated to the gospel. You think you have something you don't. So pray for those two men. Praise God that they're honest and no longer in that gray area. All right, let's wind things down now by simply looking at some practical, tangible ways that we can demonstrate the gospel in our lives. First and foremost, individually. And we're going to use a, a threefold pattern of application, up, in, and out. So at, for those of you who are believers, again, no legalism here. This should be fruitfulness coming out because of your love to the Savior. And remember, the gospel is the key, applying the gospel, bringing the gospel into our lives every single day. But up would be my individual time with God, that I am putting something into that. I'm spending time with him in his word, in his prayer. It could be five minutes, right? Time doesn't matter but a good work of seeking out my Savior daily and worshiping Him every day for the gospel. 
In would then be your family, right? You might be a child, you might be a parent, you might be a brother, sister, or all of those things. The responsibilities with, that come with being a loving family member, right? Husbands love your wives. Uh, wives respect your husbands and, and so many different commands. Children, obey your parents, right? How can I serve my family? How can I love my family? And then out, again, would be your commitment to take this glorious gospel to other people in whatever way, or to, to serve, you know, the physical need aspect as well as the proclamation of the truth. And then secondly, let's look at corporately now. When it comes to us as a church, same formula, up, in, and out. When it comes to our devotion to God, you should come in here on a Sunday morning and expect God-centered, gospel-centered worship songs. You should expect God-centered, gospel-centered, biblical preaching verse by verse from the Word. And you should come and join in that for the glory of God. And then secondly, our small groups, you attend one of our small groups, same thing, authentic koinonia, the ordinary means of grace as we gather around and study the Word of God. And then when it comes to in, we have that command, loving in, serving in, we have that command, love one another within the body. So there's so many ways in which you can get involved in serving the church at at Blue Ridge and serving others, and a lot of that takes place on Sunday morning. So I put a slide up here. We also have this this handout. You'll see this for the next couple weeks, and it corresponds with this slide, and this shows you our serve teams here at the Church of Blue Ridge. We now have moved from a very easy setup tear down to a much more difficult. Uh, So we have a new team on here, as you can see. But look at these different teams. We, each one of these teams has needs today. And you'll see uh, the director of each of those teams. And they would love to meet you and find out that you're interested in helping them out. So we have Ridge Kids, of course. Uh, Carrie Lee is uh, the director of that. Our first impressions ministry, that would be the greeting, that would be the hospitality and many other things. Pastor Robert is in charge of that. Set up and tear down, which again is a new reality for us. A lot of work went into getting this room and other rooms ready for us to worship today. And Daniel Barta would love to hear from you about that. Also our safety team, Danny C. heads that up. A lot of responsibilities in keeping us safe, both outside in the parking lot as well as as we worship. So you can see him about that. And then uh, Micah Lee, who did a great job, great job leading us this morning in worship, he actually heads up two teams. And so there's two teams represented there at number five, and you can see them um, separated here on this handout. But audio-visual, when it comes to the sound that makes me sound so good, even right now, and the visual that uh, puts my slides up on the screen, as well as the music, which would include the worship singing. So if you have a gift and a passion for any one of those teams, I encourage you, find at least one to jump into and help us with, both for members and also for guests. You can get connected into one of these teams. So we'll, we've got these available up here on the stage today. Next Sunday, you'll find them in your seats. We want to give you a couple weeks to, to look, to ask questions, and to pray about how you might get involved here at the church. And then uh, probably two weeks from now, we're going to give you an opportunity to sign up for one of those teams and get involved. So very important and then also, you didn't see my name up there, and I'll show you where my name is in case you want to help out with mission opportunities, local mission opportunities that we have in Blue Ridge. Now, we're over here in TR on Sunday mornings, but we're continuing to serve and minister the Blue Ridge community as well. We know that the longer we're here, God's going to open up some doors in Traveler's Rest to do the very same things that we're doing in Blue Ridge. But we don't want to turn our back on Blue Ridge. That's not part of the plan, right? There's still need out there. These are doors that God has graciously opened to us over the past three years. And let me tell you, I've been in Greenville County to know 
Public schools don't always like to have the church come in and help. But out in Blue Ridge, they do. So at, at the middle school, Tara Sargent is in desperate need of folks who want to come mentor. Just spend 30 minutes during a lunch period. That's all it is for both the high school and the middle school. Who among us can't give up one lunch period for 30 minutes to sit and encourage a kid who's struggling in some way? And I've been mentoring for over a decade, and I can tell you when you spend that time, the gospel naturally comes up. This is low-hanging fruit when it comes to sharing the gospel. Now, we can't begin there, but these kids will ask. They'll want to know what, why you're even there, or what, what's different about you, and that opens the door for you to share about your faith in Christ. And you're allowed to do that. As long as they initiate, you are allowed to share. So both at the middle school and the high school, mentoring starts next week. So I can get you connected to either one of these two ladies that work at the schools. Also, Skyland Elementary just got a new principal, and she wanted to open up the Good News Bible Club. Again, a principal wanted to open up the Good News Bible Club from just a limited group to the entire school. And they had 150 kids sign up last week. And they need 15 volunteers on Tuesdays from 2 to 4. Now, all three of these schools are within five minutes of each other. So my plan, personally, is on Tuesdays, I'm going to go to the middle school, meet with a kid at lunch. In fact, he's in this room. I'm going to then go to the high school, meet with a kid at lunch for half an hour. And then I'm going to go over to Skyland and do whatever I can to help out with the Good News Club from 2 to 4. So won't you join me, even with just one of these great opportunities? And then also, we continue to man the food pantry at the high school, so we're always needing volunteers and food donations for that. And then Eric Wooten, one of the coaches of the high school team, is always pestering me about feeding either the J team or the varsity team. That would be more of a small group effort. So if anyone's interested in any of those, see me. I'm the contact person for all of those opportunities. So there's your opportunities. There's your application. One last thing I want us to look at, and then we will be done, and that is Luke chapter 10. We're not going to read it. Don't worry. But quickly, just turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, I was reading it this week, and I saw four important lessons for us to end with today when it comes to Christians serving the Lord and serving others, when it comes to good works. You'll see them on the slide as well. Again, we're not going to read through it. I just want you to be aware of it. The first lesson we see with the sending of the 72 is what I've already said and what you're going to hear again from Pastor Robert next week. And that is this, the proclamation of the gospel, missions. Gospel missions will always be the primary work of the local church. It has to be. We can't let go of that. Too many other churches and ministries have done that in the past couple centuries and we will not do that at the Church of Blue Ridge. So you see that with the sending of the 72. And then you see a couple passages later, the return of the 72. And I put up there, a little bit funny, but don't get cocky, okay? Don't get, that's what Jesus is telling them. They come back and they say, man, you would never believe it. Well, you would, but it was incredible for us. Even the demons uh, responded to us. Even they came out, right? And what does Jesus tell them? He says, don't rejoice in, in the ability to exercise demons. Rejoice in the fact that your name is written in the book of life. As you serve the Lord, as you even see yourself being used to do incredible things by God, maybe even some of these gifts and talents that he's developed, it's so easy to fall into pride. Trust me, I know, and get cocky. And the thing to protect us from that, and boy, that is a bad place to go, is humbling ourselves each and every day with the reminder that God has graciously saved a wretch like me. There's nothing greater that we can rejoice in that we have than the fact, if it's true for you, the fact that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. 
And then, of course, the wonderful parable, the Good Samaritan. We all know that. A great reminder of how to love our neighbors, both in our heart before we do and then through our hands as we go to serve them. And then finally, I love this passage about Martha and Mary. It's so wonderful. And, and the, the truth we want to forget, don't not want to forget there is don't lose your first love, right? Re- Revelation 2.5, applied to this great story of Martha and Mary. She's busy serving in the kitchen. Martha was at the feet of Jesus learning. And Jesus would not take that away from her. So we cannot lose our first love because we can get so busy serving God and serving others that we're forgetting our own worship of God, putting him first each day that we're loving and worshiping him. So very important for us as we move forward. So friends, this is who we are. This is the Church of Blue Ridge, along with all that we've been teaching you the past several weeks and the several weeks to come. We are a church that will continually be devoted to serving others. And also, the second application I always make each week, as we stand shoulder to shoulder serving God and serving others, the Holy Spirit will knit our hearts together probably greater than any other way. In fact, I'm, I'm thankful. It's hard. I'm already looking forward to a church building someday or, or whatever God has for us, even after this morning. Just one day, I'm ready for a church building. But no, it was great this morning seeing this team of people coming together. And as we do that, God will knit our hearts together, making us one unified body of Christ. So we will end today with this great quote from Edmund Clowney, another great quote from Edmund Clowney. A final approach to the world is not simply to fight it Join it, build upon it, or try to ignore it. I think every church, almost every church is doing one of those four things. But we are to change it. In the pursuit of holiness, in the proclamation of the gospel, in the service of the poor and friendless, the church of Christ builds a spiritual culture, a foretaste of the kingdom to come. I invite Micah to come back up as we continue to worship in song. And just let you know here, we don't have a formal invitation time, right? But the invitation's always open at the Church of Blue Ridge. If we, one of us, can help you in any area of life, if you're struggling, even as a Christian with sin, we do biblical counseling here at the church as well. If you're struggling with anything, please come and seek us out, whether it's this morning or through the week, all right? You can go to our website, get our email addresses, and get in touch with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time that we've had. Thank you for this new location that you have provided so graciously. Father, my prayer is for my friends here today as well as for myself, that you would help us, Lord God, to never let a day go by where we forget this gospel, that we forget the greatest thing of all, that you have graciously chosen to save us and thus chosen us even before time began. Not only did you choose us to be with you forever in eternity, but you have chosen us and saved us to serve you in this life. Let each of us find the work that you have sovereignly prepared for us, both individually as families and as a body of Christ, that we will be faithful to walk in them. For those of us who are walking in them, continue to encourage us and use us. Father, that these works, this service, both inside the body and outside, would be a continual reminder of the important need, the more important need of the gospel for each and every man, woman, and child. We know that is your heart, that all would repent and come to faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Let us, Lord, never separate the two, but keep that perfect balance that you yourself did on earth of both proclaiming the truth of the gospel and serving the needs of others. Thank you for this time we've had. 
We look forward to great things from you in this community each week. We love you, Lord. And we praise you and give you glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.